Mindfulness Mode 92. So I believe that we show our vulnerability and our humanism a lot more than is publicly perceived. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Thanks so much for listening to Mindfulness Mode. As a thank you, I have some free, easy meditations called Fine-Tune Your Focus 5-Step Challenge. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com focus. Enter your name and email, and I'll send you five videos with audio tracks for meditating, clearing your mind, and getting focused. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Daryl Miller on the line today. Hey, Daryl, are you in mindfulness mode? I sure am, Bruce. That's great. Daryl Miller, not his real name, is an undercover police officer working in the field of weapons and gangs. In the past, Daryl has served in peacekeeping missions in Bosnia, has been a police officer in a large city, has received regular training to prepare him for any danger he may encounter. Needless to say, he faces challenging, high-risk situations on a regular basis. Daryl uses his mindfulness skills to stay calm, focused, and to remain as grounded as he possibly can, even when he's facing imminent danger. So, Daryl, I'm wondering, what is it about policing that attracted you to this career? Well, Bruce, policing, I believe, is a calling, uh, much like teaching or nursing um, or fields of that nature, helping professions. Uh, And I was always called to policing uh, ever since I was a young boy. And what do you remember about that? What what part of policing made you really want to do that? I think it was the helping it was the uh, the image, uh, the Norman Rockwell sort of image of the police officer bending over to uh, help a, a young boy or listen to what somebody has to say. Right. And did you envision some of the dangers and some of the risks that might be involved with this? I, I don't think when you're young, you see that. But uh, as I got older, the excitement of it through television shows back in the 70s and 80s, um, really attracted me as well. I like the, um, I like the, I was attracted to the, the chasing and the arresting people and doing the right thing. What television shows did you like back then? Oh, I could date myself by saying <laughs> shows like Adam 12. I was thinking of the same show. Uh, Streets of San Francisco, Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. Uh, shows of that era. So then when you got into policing, what was the reality? What was the most challenging part of policing in that first year? As a young officer, I would say I probably had an advantage because I'd already been a soldier for several years. So I didn't have problem with uh, the, the inner workings of policing as far as rank structure and as far as uh, taking direction. But uh, some of the challenges were, the biggest challenge for a young officer, I believe, is court-imposed things that we have to do, the paperwork and the the tedious jobs of policing. Everybody thinks that policing is exciting and you stop cars or and write tickets or you arrest people or and it's there's so much work that's involved in such a short for a short period of excitement. 
there's hours of tedious work that needs to be done. Right. And so was it hard to get your mind around the fact that you were in a career and there were a lot of things that really were not a lot of fun? Uh, yes, that's true. But after uh, some reflection, you will, a good police officer, I believe, realizes that as much of the job that's exciting, there you have to pay the price for that. And the price for that for us is the paperwork and it's the logging evidence and exhibits and writing search warrants and filling out uh, arrest forms and going to court and all the things that aren't exciting for policing. But it's, those are the things that upon reflection, those are the things that make a rounded, experienced police officer. And I can imagine that your, your mind could play tricks on you with some of the challenges, some of the dangers, even some of the, the challenges where, you know, your police work is boring. So when did you start to look toward some of the tools of mindfulness to help you get through this? Fairly early on, um, they used to call it, uh, it had different names in policing. Uh, they used to call it visualization. The, the worst part about going to a, a dangerous or a potentially dangerous call is uh, the anticipation and the dread that you feel as you're driving to the call. Uh, so a good technique is to to try to do some meditation and some calming exercises while you're on your way there. If not, your adrenaline and your nerves can really get the best of you and, and you won't act your at your top ability when you're there right. at the call. Did you ever see other police officers who had a lot of trouble with this and didn't seem to be able to embrace the whole idea of living in the now of mindfulness? Several times. One incident in particular strikes me that uh, we went to a call where there was uh, a woman who was trying to commit suicide by setting her couch, herself and her couch at her house on fire. And uh, I went into the door and ran down to the basement uh, through the smoke and was grabbing the lady and trying to get her out of the house. And I looked around for my partner and she was at the top of the stairs uh, paralyzed, like frozen in, mm -hmm. in shock. And... I mean, to her credit, she she came around really quickly and came down and helped me and we uh, got her safely out of the house. But uh, definitely in that instant, she froze. Another instant that comes to mind is uh, my partner and I were called uh, to a, a call of a gr the gr that there's a grim reaper who was threatening people with a big like scythe, like six foot scythe. And we got to the call and... Uh, Sure enough, there was a, a person who was uh, going through a drug episode and he had a, a big scythe and he was waving it at people. So I had to draw my gun and talk to the gentleman and got him calmed down. And he put down the scythe and everybody was, was fine and he was arrested quite calmly. But I looked around at my partner and he hadn't even uh, had the presence of mind to draw his gun. He was just kind of motionless. Oh. Gee, that must have been some incredibly scary moment. It, it it was scary. It was it was definitely a frightening moment. But again, I think if you practice some just basic mindfulness techniques on your way to the call, and even even something as simple as sort of repeating to yourself that you don't know what to expect until you get there, or visualizing positive outcomes, 
you put yourself in a better frame of mind. And I know some people use mantras and they, you know, repeat something over and over to kind of help calm themselves. Have you ever tried that? My uh, experience with mantras, my, my mother uses mantras and she is a, she's a Buddhist, is that I haven't come across a mantra. Apparently, there are certain mantras that relate to, to people. So I, I, since I don't have my own mantra, I haven't used them to, to calm down. But I have, in some of the books that I've read, said that there are some just some simple sentences that you can repeat. I've used them in my own meditation, but not related to police calls. Do you think the fact that your your mom is a Buddhist and you grew up with that, did that kind of maybe instill the idea as you grew older that meditation could be a positive thing for you? Oh, uh, most definitely. Um, seeing uh, my mother's like... Uh, uh, health struggles over the past 20 years um, and then seeing how she's coped with them and how well she's adapted her life to them through her meditation. Uh, it, it gives me great confidence in meditation, the power of meditation and the power of mindfulness. And a lot of it has to do with confidence, doesn't it? If you go into it thinking, well, it may work, it may not, that's just not really going to probably work out for you is it no you you have to be confident in what you're what you're doing and, and have the faith that it, it's going to work sure and just in policing i'm sure you have to have a lot of confidence you got to feel it but you've also got to portray that sense of confidence too you you really do i was fortunate enough to go to a, a call for service while i was just happened to be in a building doing something else when um a lady ran out in the hall with a baby who was choking on a piece of pineapple and all of the other people that were in the apartment were just screaming, but no one was actually doing anything. I was able to dislodge the, the pineapple and, and the baby was fine. Um, and it was a nothing. It was a 30 second event. But you could see where people had just been uh, the, that bit of confidence just calmed the whole scene down, you know, and, and having the confidence and portraying it made everything else go so much more smoothly. Wow, Daryl, that must have been uh, must have been certainly incredibly impactful for the woman that you were there and you showed that confidence and you just you just calmly dealt with the situation and I mean really it changed your entire life. Well I, I, I mean I hope so you certainly don't think of that no those those ramifications in the moment, you know, you just are happy to, to have helped and, and then you kind of go on with your day. Of course, yeah. It'd be, I suppose it would be routine for you in some ways. Well, let's talk about your work in gangs and weapons. So what drew you into this idea of focusing on the area of weapons? What, what did you love about that and how did I, Oddly enough, I don't, uh, I don't have any particular love for weapons. Um, I was in the infantry for seven years and then with the military police and now as a police officer, um, they've just always been a part of my um, equipment. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a hunter. I'm not a, a marksman or a, a sharpshooter or anything like that. I don't, I don't shoot on my own time. I just have had over 20 years of familiarity with firearms. So I know them and I understand them and uh, I can speak to them in court at a court level. Uh, as far as gangs, 
when I first started walking the beat, there were a lot of street gangs in the city that I worked in. And being somewhat curious, I would try to talk to as many of the gang members as possible. I gained a lot of intelligence that way and uh, took the, some of that knowledge forward into uh, a more of an intelligence role when I left uniform policing. And uh, now I can also speak to gangs uh, at a court level. Well, I'd like to delve a little bit into the actual moments when you would go up and speak to some of the gang members. I mean, I'm sure it takes a certain level of, you know, kind of just letting go, being relaxed, being yourself. Tell us about the mindfulness that you applied in those situations. A lot of... uh... A lot of police officers, I think, try to uh, project this air of constant professionalism, and it comes across a lot as being cold. Mm-hmm. I think if you can be mindful of that and be aware that that's how people per- perceive police, if you can go up to someone and talk to them as a person instead of a possible subject, you'll be amazed at how much further you can get. And a simple handshake or um, a kind word, or just something as simple as, hey, I really like that shirt that you're wearing, or something to that effect, mm-hmm. or anything anything that, that makes you relatable to someone else is a real icebreaker, and it humanizes you as a police officer. So that's, that's really the important thing to humanize yourself. And what are some other ways you can humanize yourself? You know, you can try to reach them at their level. Any other ideas or tips? I Well, I think be yourself, but be you have to be your authentic self. You, you can't, it, in my stage in life, I can't go up to an 18-year-old and really portray that I relate to that person because I don't. I can't go to a homeless person and relate to what they're going through because I haven't lived that. But um, you can be questioning and you can be non-judgmental. And I think that people see, they see your authenticity. Yeah, I think they do. I think people can feel it about you. And I mean, even in business and in entrepreneurship, you know, there's a lot of talk about being authentic, be yourself so you can relate to people. And that's how you're going to connect and then be successful in your business. So being non-judgmental is certainly a big part of it. And I think also, you know, you just have to be able to kind of let go and, and, you know, connect in the way you're describing. So it can really, it can really make a big difference if you're able to. So part of it is probably vulnerability. Can you speak on that? Well, I think, I think just by showing uh, that you aren't a robot in uniform, you aren't an automaton, you, when you give something of yourself, um, whether it's your time or, or a couple of kind words, you are you're making yourself vulnerable uh, to that person and, and opening yourself up to that person a little bit. Yeah, and I think, you know, being mindful, I think mindfulness really is part of that, you know, opening up, giving of yourself. and I, I think vulnerability gets a bad rap. I think people maybe misunderstand it as weakness or or showing too much emotion. And that's really, I don't believe the case at all. It's just showing that you're, you're a human relating to another human. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think that 
the image that a lot of people in the public have is that, you know, to be a police officer, you have to have this incredible mass of strength and you have this really, really hard shell. And what you're describing is that, you know, you, you certainly have a lot of confidence, but you have the ability to expose yourself a little bit too at times. Uh, absolutely. And I think that there are countless uh, stories and examples of police officers who show themselves, show their emotions and their feelings. And and I know police officers who coordinate uh, massive uh, uh, cancer awareness events every year. And I, I know of uh, police officers who uh, work with uh, uh, rescue animals and do work with uh, autism. I know. Um, and I, so I believe that we show our vulnerability and our humanism a lot more than is publicly perceived when people really can't see past the fact that they just got a ticket, <laughs> you know, which yeah. nobody likes. Right, right. Let's talk about some of your experiences with gangs with weapons some of those experiences where you know without mindfulness it would have been just tragic can you tell us any specific situations i think going back to uh uh, working with gangs um, and doing a lot of investigations in gangs it's easy to to take the legal and moral high high road um, and not see the situations and the circumstances that a lot of these young people have had to endure and grow up in and um, situations that could potentially have become, have been violent were uh, diffused with a little bit of understanding and a little bit of compassion. As far as in the, in the weapons world, I do recall a time when a search warrant was being executed and the guns were found and the first people were so excited by the guns and then some of the investigators went through later and found that the guns hadn't even been unloaded. So people were, were picking up guns and uh, didn't even conduct like a, a simple safety check. And I think being mindful and being aware, being present and practicing some relaxation techniques and removing yourself from a high stress situation and then approaching it again from a place of calmness, really like level heads always prevail. Yeah, and we really need that with guns and weapons, that's for sure, having a level head. Well, I've worked in bullying prevention for some time, Daryl, and I'm just wondering if you have a story that kind of relates to bullying, whether it's in policing or whether it's like as a child or whatever, where mindfulness may have made a difference. I can I can certainly relate to a bullying event in uh, when I was in the infantry uh, where... Some soldiers who were all in training were tended to bully uh, another soldier who was from a northern community, uh, like northern Canadian community, and didn't just didn't seem to have maybe the same social skills as the other soldiers. It was a, definitely more of an isolated person, just I think given the nature of uh, where they lived and didn't really fit in with with the group. And I think a little mindfulness uh, in that situation would have gone a long way. People could have gotten out of themselves and seen the person through that person's eyes or seen things through that person's eyes and and understood their experiences or at least listened to their experiences or thought about their experiences or just gave a little consideration. Yeah, when you run into situations like that, you just start to realize like, 
we're all people. We all have challenges. We all, you know, we all fall into certain situations. And I'm, I'm sure that applies to gangs as well, that you really, you're able to humanize them and, and see that they really have their own challenges. That's right. In fact, in my experience, a lot of uh, the gang members that I dealt with were, they were bullied or they were ostracized or, or made fun of. And as a result, they turned to the gangs to find that, uh, to find that, that compassion and to find that family, to find those friends, even though they weren't necessarily their friends, but that's how a gang recruits. They look for those people and they, they make them believe that the gang is their family. And once they do that, and once they get them connected, how do they keep them connected? Well, once they're in, they feel that they're part of a, uh, an organization they feel um, that they have friends. They feel that they have power. Uh, if they're a street gang, they feel that they cause fear, which is intoxicating for them. Um, a lot of times they'll be given alcohol or drugs or money, which a lot of times they never have, especially money, in their in their life before the gang. And now they have respect and they have... Um, a sense of belonging, and uh, it all comes down to a sense of belonging. And so, if someone is has fallen into this situation, and they're they've been in a gang for a certain period of time, maybe maybe a number of years, how can they possibly escape from that lifestyle? It's very difficult because, and I liken this to anybody in a work experience. Once you get to a level in your career or your job. Uh, you're making enough money or you have enough um, seniority or enough uh, time in that, that job that it's very difficult to get out of. And a gang is the same way. You've, you've been in a gang for several years. You've reached a certain level in your gang. Um, you might be making money through different activities with your gang. It's hard. If you leave the gang, they might take it out on you. Uh, they, might not they might tell you you can't leave. Uh, so it makes it very difficult. It takes a strong person to break free of uh, that kind of a hold. I'm sure it does. And it, a very determined person to make the changes necessary. I would say you would have to make a drastic lifestyle change. Maybe almost like move away, separate yourself physically from those people, maybe change your identity. At, at, at the very least, you'll want to move away from the neighborhood and away from those people. And nowadays with social media, it's almost impossible to move away and to get away. If someone wants to reach out to you, they can just get on a computer or a phone. Have you ever known any gang members who have made that break? I have, and I've, uh, I've been to a few speaking engagements where members of high-level high gangs and outlaw motorcycle gangs have left the gang and the, the struggles and the the determination and the tribulations that they've all been through the threats and whether it's a, a common street gang, whether it's an outlaw motorcycle gang, whether it's a traditional organized crime family, uh, they all have long reaches and they don't like people leaving. I'm sure they don't. And do you think that some of those who have escaped have used elements of mindfulness to create a new life? I would think that if you were to ask those people, they would probably mostly not know what you're talking about. 
But if you were to ask them what they did day to day to put the put their gang behind them, I think that any I think that every one of them shows would show elements of mindfulness, whether it's repeating a mantra, whether it's okay, I'm going to live today. I'm going to live just for today. I can't think about tomorrow and I can't think about yesterday, but I can be in the present right now. I have to be here and right now. That's great insight. And I think for so many of us, we have in the past used some of these techniques, even though we may not have known it. Daryl, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? My mother. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? It's brought me to a much calmer state. Tell us how breathing be a part of your mindfulness practice. I definitely try to practice breathing techniques, especially during meditation where I focus on my breathing. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would it be? Uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. And The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. I think that's by Robin Sharma, isn't that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I really like that book too. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? I have an app called the Brainwave Studio and uh, it is just a, it just uses a music and brain wave like uh, pulses and different sounds to, uh, to cause uh, different types of meditation or to help you sleep. That sounds great. I'll have to check that one out. What advice, Daryl, would you give a person who is new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? Uh, start small, uh, five minutes meditation um some uh some mantras or some form of uh repetition and and remind yourself through the day to uh just take stock of of where you are and what's around you and how you're feeling do a self do a self check every day that is good advice daryl it has been such a pleasure to spend this time with you today and i've really learned a lot and you've given us here, Mindful Tribe, you've given us some insight into what it's like to be an undercover police officer and to work in this field that that does have a lot of danger, and you're able to use mindfulness to help you through it. So we really appreciate you sharing your insight today, Daryl. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. You're welcome. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.